Hello and welcome to Maiden Mother Matriarch with me, Louise Perry. I have a croaky voice, I'm sorry, I'm just getting over a cold. I had no voice whatsoever last week, it's only just come back, so the, the, my voice is crackly the whole of this recording, but I had a great guest today, uh, Katie Herzog, the journalist and uh, co-host of Locked and Reported podcast. We spoke about why no one apparently identifies as a lesbian anymore, um, why so many lesbian women have flocked to the non-binary identity, uh, the nature of gender dysphoria, why people seem to respond more negatively generally to gender non-conforming men rather than gender non-conforming women, uh, passing privilege, my theory of nonce radar. Um, and then in the extended uh, part of the episode, we spoke about uh, the impact that AIDS had on gay activism and uh, Drag Queen Story Hour and why British people are so desperate to imitate American culture wars. That extended version of the episode can be found at louiseperry.substack.com, where, as always, you can find the whole back catalogue of our extended episodes, the MMM chat community, and the bonus episodes that I do fortnightly with my husband. Enjoy. Many of you will know that Christianity is a subject of fascination for me, and the role of Christianity in shaping the modern world is a theme I return to again and again on the podcast. My view is that we really can't understand the world or ourselves without getting to grips with it, which is why I'm very glad to point you towards a new online course called 321. It's an introduction to Christianity that's imaginative, thoughtful, engaging. It assumes absolutely no prior knowledge. It's presented by the wonderful Glenn Scrivener, who has been a guest on the MMM podcast previously and I've also been a guest on his show. Glenn presents eight video-led sessions which are based around some beautiful animated stories that illustrate the Christian message. You can check it out for free at 321course.com forward slash MMM. Just enter your email, choose a password and you're in. There's no spam, there's no fees. Just visit 321course.com forward slash MMM. And now onto the show. So Casey, I want to start by talking about um, a topic you've written about uh, at least once, probably more than once, the disappearance of lesbians, mm -hmm. basically. Not the disappearance of actual, I mean the, well, this is this interesting sort of contradiction, right? On the one hand, you have fewer women identifying as lesbians, I think, in the data, but you also have more and more and more women identifying as being non-straight. Mm -hmm. It's like massive surge in identifying as bisexual as in particular yes what do you think is going on there why are these two things happening at the same time yeah i've also noticed that in the polling that it does seem to be a contradiction and another thing that's a contradiction is that if you i don't have any polling directly in front of me but if you ask people how they identify women are much more likely to call themselves bisexual but if you ask mm. them if they've had any same-sex contact if they've actually acted on this bisexual identity the answers are not particularly high. So what you have in practice mm. is a lot of women who act heterosexually, but identify as bisexual or, or queer. Um, and yeah, at the same time, a lot of this, a lot of what I've seen is, is anecdotal and it's based on the past, probably, what year is it? Probably 10 years of, of noticing this really obvious, what I think is a very obvious trend, which is women who would have at one point identified as lesbians or more recently as queer, but basically homosexual women uh, transitioning to men or calling themselves non-binary, changing their names and pronouns. Sometimes they don't change anything except for their names and pronouns. Um, 
but sometimes, you know, oftentimes they take testosterone or have double mastectomies, things like that, top surgery. And I started noticing this, yeah, about 10 years ago. There have always, I've, I've been involved in, in what used to be called the lesbian scene, now kind of the queer scene for 20 years. And there were always trans men in those circles. There always were. And it was never really a big deal. I sort of thought of trans men as, as like extra butch. And then about 10 years ago, uh, and, and I should say also, there was this acknowledgement, not a, like a tacit acknowledgement that trans men were different than males, right? So trans men were welcome in women's place, women's spaces, like like women's bars and in, in lesbians' beds in a way that males would not have been. And there was a tacit acknowledgement that there was a difference, this rhetoric that trans men are men, or even more ridiculously, trans men are male or trans women are female didn't exist when I was coming of age 20 years ago. And then- Did people talk about trans men as well? Would it, at at that point, would it still have been talking about butchers or something like that? No, there were always trans men in the scene. I mean, more butches for sure. Butches were way more common. Yeah. Um, And butches, many, many butches have transitioned or adopted the non-binary label, but there were always trans men around and there was, but there was always just a handful of them and they were always sort of accepted. It was just like, it just felt like a really natural, I don't think many people had a problem with it. This was before, you know, trans women in sports, before the trans kids things they had come up. It was just a different time and, and much more, much less visible. And in some ways, I think it was really easier for trans men in particular to pass in 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 normal society, not in, in queer world, because there wasn't, people didn't know that trans men existed. And so if you look like a guy, people just assume right. you're a guy. People weren't on the alert for like suspiciously totally. they were, short yeah, and yes. short men with yes. childbearing hips. In, yeah. Right, in gravelly voices. They weren't looking at the fingernails yeah. in the hands trying to figure out what was going on. <laughs> um, I'm sure I could get in trouble saying that in a different venue, but I think it's probably <laughs> safe. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, my first inkling that something was changing was I was living in Charlotte, actually, and... Um, North Carolina. And I became, I became really good friends with the trans guy and he had been a lesbian and then he transitioned. And he was one of these trans guys who probably would have really fit the uh, sort of the clinical description for dysphoria, dysphoria presented at a really young age, insistent, persistent, uh, was raised in sort of a strange way where his, where his family gave him a male name. He was raised by his grandparents. They probably wanted a, a boy and they kind of raised him as a boy. It was just a, sort of a strange situation. And he, and he transitioned when he was older and he had lived in a household with, I can't remember, it was four or five women, all lesbians or all queer women, because by this point, nobody called themselves lesbians, but this was maybe 10 years ago. Everybody called themselves queer by that point already. And he came out as trans and started the process of transitioning, started taking testosterone and within a year, his entire household had transitioned. And he told mm-hmm. me this, and I just said, that is statistically impossible that you all would have, you know, we know that trans people are l- less than 1% of the population. What are the chances that you all would have found each other? This, to me, it just seemed crazy. And I uh, probably expressed that <laughs> in a way that... That struck everybody around me. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with this woman? And uh, but so that was the first time. This was in like 2012, 2013. And then within year, within a few years, 
that one example of that one household where there where everybody transitioned it was everywhere and entire friend groups that i knew and i've sort of been, been unceremoniously dismissed from most of these friend groups by now so i don't know what's going on um but within just you know within you know probably eight years mass numbers of women that or people who used to be consider themselves women that i know transitioned and this was not in one city. I lived in a bunch of different cities. This was whole scenes were transitioning or changing their pron their pronouns. And I found that I still find this very remarkable. And the thing that I find most remarkable about it is that very few people within these scenes ever seem to stop and look at each other and say, this is weird. Like we all used this to be less Statistically unlikely. Yeah. What's, what's yeah. going on here, guys? <laughs> And it just seemed to yeah. be this, you know, every time somebody else announces that they're having top surgery and posts a link to their GoFundMe and their Instagram bio, a lot of cheers and a lot of you're so proud. And there's a lot of incentives to join that. And I started asking people that I knew who were getting top surgery and transitioning why, and specifically non-binary people. I was always sort of interested in that. And the answers that I got range from, you know, I have dysphoria to probably the, the most asinine one that I got. This was in Seattle was a friend told me that she wanted to take her top off at the beach. And in Seattle, nudity is legal. Public nudity is legal for men and for women. There is nothing preventing her except for social rules and norms for preventing her for taking her shirt off at the beach. In fact, there are nudist beaches in Seattle. If you are a woman and you want to take your tits out at the beach, you can do that. It does not require a double mastectomy that people typically get because they have cancer in their breasts. Um, anyway, we're not really friends anymore. Uh, so, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I just started noticing this and I was talking about it and this proved to be a position that made me quite unpopular within my, within my own communities, but I still find it strange, I think. And, and the other thing to note is that in a lot of these circles, there was a lot of misandry. There was a lot of men hating and there always has been in, in like deeply lesbian circles. I don't particularly partake in that. I'd like to judge people based on who they are, not based on, on, uh, on their, their sex. But there was always a lot of that. And so what I saw was a lot of people who five years ago would have said they hated men becoming men. And I found that very strange. And, and also just like the lack of introspection or public introspection about what was going on or even the acknowledgement that something was going on. And I was sort of treated as a, I don't know, as like a, almost like a liar for pointing out that, hey, we used to be women. What happened? <laughs> I find it really, um, I, 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 I'm obviously not as like embedded in any of these communities as you, but I've had a lot of lesbian friends over the years, um, most of whom... Well, no, okay, so the ones who I'm still friends with are the ones who are still women. <laughs> but, like, there's been, like, a slow whittling away, I've seen as well, but in Britain. And I recently uh, saw on Instagram that an old friend of mine who used to be a butch lesbian and is also, like, at least when I knew her well, was a very, not mentally ill, right, like, actually a very, like, confident, popular, like, very apparently sort of emotionally stable person who also, by the way, looks incredibly female, <laughs> despite being butch, right? And she had a double mastectomy recently and was posting on Instagram in like a celebratory way. Yeah. And I was like, damn, this, you haven't, you don't look male. 
No one is ever, ever, ever going to think you're male. Mm-hmm. You're like five foot zero. Yeah. And short like game. obviously feminine shape. Yeah. Do people, do women yeah. who do this realize how hard it is to be a short man? It's not like the most privileged <laughs> It's one of these funny world. things, isn't it, about, and this is, this is true for all trans people, but I think particularly for trans men, is that you can pass relatively easily in photos. Yes. And because T has like yeah. an incredible right Right. incredible impact on body hair and all this stuff so if you you might have like a suspiciously round face or something but if you've got a beard basically you're going to look a man in photos but actually in person it's really hard to pass because you have things like small hands and And all this stuff which just yeah 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 Yeah. which people actually clock really really yeah there is something in the in the human brain that allows us to clock sex I don't know if any other species can do that. Maybe they do it by smell. I certainly can't tell a dog by looking at it, by just looking at its body, unless its balls are hanging, um, like the case of my dog. Um, but yes, <laughs> we are incredibly good at, 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 at perceiving sex. And certainly the medical technology has come quite a long way. And there are in photos, like you look at Dylan Mulvaney's before and after photos. I don't know if Dylan would pass in person. Probably not. Dylan's body is... Probably, I don't know. Um, but in photos, you know, facial, fe- I, sometimes I feel like I should get facial feminization surgery. I mean, they can make, <laughs> they can make not that attractive men look like very attractive women, at least in photos. Um, you know, I <laughs> can see the, the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. I can see the advantages of taking testosterone. I would love to have a little bit more testosterone. I would love to be able to do a pull up you know, without, without having to, to, to work out for the next year in order to, to do that, you know, higher sex drive, you probably get a little bit better at math. All right. I'm kidding about that one, but I can really see some advantages <laughs> to taking tea. It doesn't like totally mystify me that women would want to do this, especially butch women, butch women, you know, aren't, aren't particularly prized within normal society and you know can sort of been, be looked at like a you're a weirdo and then you can become sort of a cute man uh so i kind of get it and then there's also just the fact that humans are an incredibly mimetic species and we copy each other and when people like me point this out we're accused of, of sort of um degrading people's experience i don't think it actually does degrade people's experience to say that humans tend to copy each other because we do it in every other asset of human life from the names we choose to our of our babies to what we eat to what we wear to what we listen to and it's it's why would this be any different um so i think that's what's going on is is there's there are incentives to change sex and one of them is that it is seen now as cool it will not always be these things come and go they 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 change there, you know, there are different waves of social trends. This one will end. I think there'll probably be a backlash. There'll probably be younger people who like younger women who proudly embrace lesbianism, uh, you know, but that hasn't quite happened. And having massive tits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The top surgery will be implants. Right. And, and that's one of the things that, so, cause I mean, okay. So I generally think that the, the non-binary stuff, as long as it doesn't involve medical intervention is lame but fine totally and if I had you know if I had say I don't know a 15 year old daughter who was whose options were which it can feel like this for girls these days right options were like hyper pornified sort of like I don't know bimbo aesthetic or being non-binary and having a pixie haircut and wearing um plaid shirts 
uh, as a way, like I think often for these girls, it's kind of an excuse to resist sexualization because they're not ready for it and they don't like porn culture and stuff. And I think fine, great, have a few years of like a holding space where you can have this like safe identity and find other girls who are like-minded, whatever. The problem, right, is when you're doing the irreversible medical stuff. And that's when, when this fashion has passed in a decade or two, these women are still not going to have breasts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you with the non-binary stuff. I do find it, the thing that I find aggravating again about it is that we, the rest of us are supposed to participate in this facade as though, or I'm sorry, this charade as though it is, as though somebody choosing non-binary pronouns is this incredibly important part of their life, their identity, and it means that they're not actually men or women, which is patently false. And so I, I don't like I don't like being sort of expected to participate in this. My other objection to it is I think it reifies the concept of gender. It says, you know, basically, I'm not like other girls. I'm different. And to me, it would be much more progressive to expand the definition of what a woman can be rather than to say, if you don't fit into this narrow, this narrow view of womanhood, then you're not actually a woman or not actually female. I, I think it is also anti-science to, some, to the degree that people deny that they are that they are not that they are actually male or female. And then it's also just contradictory. Like I'll see people refer to themselves as non-binary men or non-binary women. What does that mean? Mm. What does that mean? You can't have it both ways. So I, I, I sort of object yeah. to this idea that like once somebody something has become an identity characteristic, it is so sacrosanct that the rest of us can't make fun of it, basically. There's sort of classic radical feminist objection. One classic radical feminist objection to all this stuff is to say as you say, reifying gender, it's saying that this whole ideology is saying that actually it's what's between your ears, not between your legs, when in fact gender roles are socially constructed and all that kind of stuff. And I guess I'm somewhere in the middle on that because I'm not, I don't, I don't, so I don't believe in the, like everyone has a gender identity or a soul or something like that, which like just really loves um, dressing up like um, Audrey Hepburn, you know. Um, I think that's obviously nonsense. Mm-hmm. There probably is something though to the to, and, and and this goes back to thinking about butchers and stuff. Some men and some women are clearly gender non-conforming from a young age. Very like very instinctive, very strong. It 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 like despite all socialization efforts, you know, people will grow up in like super conservative families and nevertheless end up being really gender non-conforming. Like, and you can look at that fact, which seems to be cross-culturally true and conclude as the transgender activists do, oh, that's because of like gender identity, yada, yada, which I think is wrong. But I also think the radical feminists are kind of wrong. Yeah. To think that there's not something biological going on totally. there. Yeah. And it's a biological thing that can induce gender dysphoria. The question is, what do you do about that gender dysphoria? Yeah, I completely and agree with you. And that's where no one agrees. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the idea that we're not, it, that's almost like taking, uh, taking h- humans out of the realm of animals. This idea that our biology doesn't dictate our behavior, what it obviously does. If you, if you have a, a, man a male who for whatever reason his body stops producing testosterone it has impacts on his ambition on his personality on his interest 
even even people who go through normal hormonal fluctuations as a part of aging change. Yeah. So so to me, that's one of my objections to, to radical feminism is I'm a little bit of a biological essentialist. Um, I don't think that 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 society has no impact on on our behavior. I fall in the middle there of the, the nature nurture question. But the idea that it has um, that biology doesn't impact impact our behavior and and uh, and what we're interested in and what we like to do and our sex drive and, and other parts of our lives to me that just seems that seems equally anti-science yeah and the, and the problem as we're saying right is it is it encourages people to do permanent things to their bodies or I mean even I've told this um, story on the podcast before but I am um, I used to work in rape crisis um, you'll be aware obviously of multiple personality disorder yeah. as a as a historical analog to mm-hmm. all of this, it's still around on TikTok and whatever, right? But um, it, the particular craze was in uh, the eighties, and um, uh, you know, it was the same demographic pretty much who were flocking the the young female demographic who were flocking to this, and often people who genuinely had had um, traumatic experiences and whatever. And when I was working at Rape Crisis, so this is like um, I don't know, seven years ago, something like that. Um, we used to get, we used to still get a lot of calls from people who, who identified as having multiple personality disorder, who would present with having multiple personality disorder. And these were like middle-aged women. So they were women who were in that young age category when this was a big craze and had never dropped it. Interesting. Like it was no longer, yeah, it it, it was no longer fashionable. It obviously didn't involve any like medical changes to their bodies, but they had, they had still like held onto it all these decades later whether or not they were doing it in like their whole all of their lives mm-hmm. and also it's kind of hard to know how conscious it is adopting but anyway they were they were presenting like this on the line to the extent that we had to have like special policies around how to deal with alters and all this kind of wow. stuff and, and it was all yeah and I was a, I was like a quiet turf at the time as well so I was like this is all mm-hmm. this all you know strongly reminds me of yes. the make-believe yes. we have to do in other areas of policy too um but the thing I really came away from that was like some some people will will like hang on to this stuff forever like there will probably be people decades from now when no one talks about trans anymore mm-hmm. who are still like this has still permanently changed their lives yes yeah. And actually change their lives in a more significant way than multiple personalities did. I mean, that's why I'm so furious, as I know you are with all these clinicians who are encouraging this stuff, because it really does. It really, really messes people up permanently. You know, we might disagree on this a little bit. Um, I really I think that some people if transition like I don't think there are Republicans in the United States who are trying to prevent adults from getting transition healthcare from transitioning. When it comes to adults, and not that a 20-year-old is really an adult, at least I think at this day and age, a 20-year-old in 1950s was surely an adult, but in 2023, probably not. Uh, When it comes to adults, I don't care that much. And I think that there are, I know enough trans people who have really benefited from transition, people like Buck Angel, who's a good friend, um, you know, who, who transitioned, did sort of cure his ails. You know, I think that gender dysphoria, if, if it is best treated with transition, if that is the effective way of treating people, of, of treating this condition, I don't in theory have a problem with it. What I have a problem with is the overdiagnosis, uh, you know, and then you get into things like this complicates matters, but autogynephilia, you know, if this is a paraphilia, does, does, does 
does uh does basically indulging the paraphilia does that actually solve the problem does that cure the cure the dysphoria or does it not so i think it, it is certainly more complicated than just give people hormones and and surgery and, and life will be better and i think that's why a lot of people detransition is because they do this and they find that that it does not actually long-term improve their lives after the the, the initial period of euphoria um you know i think it's kind of like adhd like I don't deny that there's probably a condition that called ADHD that exists that makes it hard for some people to function in society. I just think it's way overdiagnosed and that the the treatment that's probably not to medicate all children uh, either with Ritalin or with uh, or with, you know, puberty blockers. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to also the interesting thing about ADHD, right, is that um, it, it, ability to pay attention to boring things is basically normally distributed and and yeah. yeah and you can like draw a line and say everyone who is this bad at paying attention to boring things has an illness called ADHD right. and they need drugs but if you give anyone I'm told I've never tried Ritalin but if you give anyone oh, Ritalin, yeah. they will become better at paying attention yes. to, to boring things so it is an amphetamine yeah it so, is everybody who takes this drug <laughs> is going to perform better at repetitive tasks and focusing because that is the nature of the drug there's a really interesting history behind uh, the diagno- the rise in the in terms of the ADHD diagnosis and I just listened to this on a podcast recently called um, Search Engine and I didn't realize this until recently, but it turns out that these drugs, these are amphetamines, were developed during World War II. They were used, Nazis used them um, to basically prolong the prolong their ability to stay in a war zone fighting for days at a time without sleep. And then, you know, 70 years later, we give them to children who can't sit still in school. And there's lots of, uh, lots of interesting history on how that happened a lot of it having to do with drug industries you know uh, rebranding uh, re- pivoting and rebranding as a drug goes out of fashion my husband was one of these kids who got diagnosed with adhd because he behaved basically like a normal boy um and like you know ritalin's not that i don't think the adverse effects are all that bad so you know like clearly students have been taking it forever alongside modafinil and things like that to do better at their exams so like it's not a massive problem except that like he's still I, I make fun of him for this but he still sometimes will like appeal to his ADHD where I'm like no you're being lazy yeah yeah <laughs> you just yeah. need to like step up for a moment yeah. and it, <laughs> and you're not ill it, it always it almost seems to me like children who have trouble sitting still in school can like they could have a psychological condition or they could be a symptom of the way that we school children which is possibly, and I don't have children, but I was once one, but it's possible that that's like having kids, like little kids sit around and, and uh, I don't know, listen to a lecture is not the, the, the best way that children should be spending their time learning. It reminds me actually, I have this slightly, slightly trollish, if I'm honest, like uh, theory, which is that a lot of people actually have gender dysphoria, mm. but like mild. And so the radical feminist version of this is to say, Women, you know, of course, women don't want to be like pornified sex objects. Of course, teenage girls or or anyone would experience sort of dysphoria at that, and might explain that by identifying as non-binary or something like that. I think that's true, but I'd actually, I'd go beyond that. Like thinking about, I don't know, like little boys having to sit still in the classroom when they want to be running around outside, or really anyone, like, or, or men not being able to do like physical work that they would historically have done 
um, or women not starting families until really late in life when they when they're like their broodiness has kicked in much earlier. Like there's actually loads of ways in which people don't get to behave instinctively according to their like gendered instincts in modern life, which causes people. It's not like real gender dysphoria. It's not like that's why I say I'm being a bit of a troll. It's not like it causes people anguish, but it does cause people I think mild distress, and we don't. Um, we don't tend to talk about it because we, because, partly because of the ideology that expects modern people to be very uh, gender egalitarian yeah. and to not be drawn to instinctively different gender behaviors. Yeah, I guess people like me really benefit from the way society is currently set up because I have no maternal instinct and I am naturally a gender non-conforming person, um, which is one of the reasons I am glad to be 40 years old and not 20 years old, because I think if I were who I am, uh, but much younger, I probably would be, you know, asking people for money to pay for my top surgery at this point. Do you think, or do you not think that you, maybe you're so... I don't know if contrarian is unfair, but like you're so like you're such an independent thinker that you would never have fallen for it. No, or do you think it was just like a matter of which decade you were born in? I think it depends on when in like this hypothetical scenario when I'm younger than I am, because there would have been a point in which it wasn't so cool to do this. that I probably when it was still like like I have tattoos, you know, I got tattoos when I was 20. If I were I don't think I would get tattoos now because tattoos are sort of a normie basic thing to do. Uh, but there probably would have been a tipping point if the, if the timing had aligned correctly, in which case it would have been just, uh, just sort of um, iconoclastic enough to transition um, that I would have done it. But I also, you know, I've, um, as I have aged, I have become more comfortable uh, being sort of in the out group. And in my twenties, I was certainly not as comfortable social social stuff was much more important to me I cared about being popular and cool and I was for the record um no longer uh so I think I think I probably and if I had been if I was a lot younger I mean I did have according to sort of the w path dictionary definition of gender dysphoria I probably would have qualified for a diagnosis very gender non-conforming from a young age I'm a twin and my sister was girly I was the opposite hated wearing dresses always played with you know I was the only girl on, on my baseball team um, going through puberty was intensely distressing although it is for many many girls that doesn't mean I needed to be a boy and I, I think the real irony is that the thing that the thing that made me eventually sort of embrace being a woman, embrace my femaleness, was going through puberty, coming out the other side, having essentially an, a sexual awakening and realizing that I was a lesbian. And once I realized that, oh, all of these things make sense, right? And if I hadn't gone through puberty, I, you know, if I had been taking puberty blockers, that wouldn't have happened. And so I think there is this real irony that the thing that makes that is so painful for gender dysphoric children, puberty, and it and for me, like getting my period for the first time was a really, really terrible experience. It felt shameful, not just physically painful, but really shameful. Um, but if you if you don't go through that, through that experience, you don't emerge into adulthood, you don't, you're, you know, you don't mature in these other ways that make you sort of realize your own sexual identity. And I, I think that's probably happening to some, some kids. They're just, they're so uncomfortable with it. And there's this way to stop this thing that they don't want to happen from happening. But if I hadn't done that, if I had just transitioned 
into a male, I mean, I, I don't know. Things would be very different. You would still have a, you have a lot of problems. I mean, you mentioned, um, you mentioned Buck Angel, right? Buck has some pretty bad health problems, right? I can't remember all the details, but I think he's spoken about having like uterine yeah atrophies so he so buck did almost die but that was so buck was he transitioned 30 years ago i think his doctors told him like literally said you were a guinea pig and uh and so if you take testosterone for long enough you can have vaginal atrophy and your uterus, I don't know the mechanism here, but your uterus, something bad happens to the uterus. So now- It closes over, kind of. So now- Yeah, to put it in layman's terms. Right, so trans men now, it's not uncommon for trans men to have hysterectomies. Um, And there are things that you can do. I think there are uh, like vaginal topicals that you can use to, to help prevent vaginal atrophy and stuff like that. So, but when Buck started, this was, this was basically unknown- unknown medicine um so i think he had to have an emergency hysterectomy um i don't know beyond that i don't know about any particular health problems i mean it would not surprise me you know the body is not our bodies are not designed to have cross-sex hormones in them they are not and there's a lot of people who've been experimenting with this maybe it will be worth it for some of them um i do wonder i've heard stories about i don't know how widespread this is but i've heard stories about as the trans population ages and uh, gets dementia, that it can be a very sort of, you know, you look in the mirror, you're 80 years old, you look in the mirror and you see a, a woman, but you know that you were born a man can be this sort of really distressing oh experience. But another- that's, re- that's really dystopian. Yeah. I mean, to, you said something a little while ago about in a few decades, you know, when this craze has ended. And I, th- I think you're right. I think for sure the craze will end and, and we'll sort of restabilize and, and men will be men and men will, will be women again, or males will be males and females will be females again. The, the trend will end. But I also don't think that trans people are going to disappear because trans people existed. You know, this this is sort of a, this is one of the things that activists chance. Trans people have always existed, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually true. Uh, you know, people were getting sex changes in the, in the, when was the, Christine Jorgensen in the 1920s or 30s or 40s, I can't remember. Oh, like 19, yeah. 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 So, 1930s, I 30s, think. 30s, yeah. yeah. So it's not as though this emerged in the past 20 years from nothing. Uh, there will, there have been in there, at least for the last, you know, 100 years, there have been, and, and I think there probably always will be people who are just so uncomfortable with their bodies, whether it's a paraphilia or gender dysphoria or it's because of social uh social expectations who just really cannot stand being and being the sex that they were born i don't think that's going to go away i just think those those people are are rare yeah no i agree with you i think that that i think that that well there are kind of two populations we're talking about right one is the people who are very um gender non-conforming from childhood and who are often gay and lesbian they clearly do crop up cross-culturally and different cultures have different ways of like wrapping their heads around them um and there are often like it's it's more common right to have the feminine men having some sort of third gender thing um which doesn't involve doing anything medical because obviously in most cultures you can't do anything medical um but does involve like different social roles the autogynophiles though are a more difficult group because it's really not clear there clearly are lots of historical examples well there are some historical examples 
of men clearly being extremely into cross-dressing in private. Do you remember a little while ago, I can't remember the name of this guy now, but there was a, a photographer in uh, who'd, who'd lived and worked in LA who had done like, a, who was quite like an acclaimed photographer for doing um, like something completely boring like travel or fashion or something. And he died and it was, and in, in his possessions were found loads of photos of him cross-dressing like dressing up in like maids outfits and things like this so obviously 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 a sex thing and like a glossy coffee table book of his nudes were published <laughs> i shouldn't laugh after but he like, died complete after he died without his consent wow right this is clearly like a private sex thing <laughs> she had never spoken about in public and but the, and now the, he's the, a trans hero whatever his relatives gave permission yeah and it was That's and it was and he got like a glowing review in the new yorker as this like brave beautiful whatever and i was like this is this guy's news oh, <laughs> just put in the... anyway but like clearly historically there are examples of yes. uh, guys being into cross-dressing um and now they're more likely to end up on the road that ends with transition totally um and i honestly don't think that's a good thing yeah i i think it's really unlikely that that's a good thing for them because it makes it so it just makes life really hard uh, like most so of them much are harder. not gonna pass and i i mean and and like i think that's no, a, and, of course and this is something that doesn't get i think talked about as much as it should but you know for all of the discourse about privilege white privilege cis privilege whatever male privilege Pass, passing privilege, beauty privilege is real privilege in society, probably in every society that has existed yeah, or will true. existed. And the way that you are treated as a man who look, even if we wanted to live in sort of the like ideal gender critical society where everybody's like a, you know, everybody wears overalls and, and, and is sort of sexless or whatever, you can't tell what people are. That's not the society that we live in. And if you are essentially what looks like a man in a dress, society, and except in, in very narrow circumstances within whatever queer community you live in, is going to, to look down upon you. I have a friend who is AGP, has been AGP since a very young age. His sexual development, his young sexual development from the age of five sort of latched on to like women's stuff. And he is, he's, a, he's a freak. He's a kinkster. He's a pervert. And he... It's very open about this publicly, but he does it in a way he does not. So he goes to sex parties. He wears his, he cross dresses on certain occasions. Everybody knows about it, but he doesn't pretend to be a woman. He doesn't pretend to be female. And so he can compartmentalize in this way that I find just much healthier. You know, he works in the trades. Like you want to be a dude who goes, you know, um, he's not a plumber, but let's just say he was a plumber. You're going to be a plumber. You're going to show up dressing like, like looking like a man in a, in a wig. Like it's going to be harder to find clients. It's just, and maybe that's not this. Maybe we should live in a society where you can wear whatever you want and there should be no repercussions and men can wear heels and dresses and women can wear whatever. And women can, I think pretty much wear whatever they want. Uh, society is much more forgiving of, of, of women when it comes to gender nonconformity, but we don't live in that society. And you can you can aspire to that but we don't live in it and we're probably frankly never going to live in it so yeah i mean this idea that the that you know the 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 appropriate response to having a paraphilia like agp or having a kink is to live it full time i find it bizarre also because no, none of us should be 
this maybe sounds a little bit too prescriptive, but in general, our sexualities are a part of our lives. They are not our entire lives, right? So to me, the idea that like making your kink your full-time identity, doesn't that take kind of the fun out of it? <laughs> I don't know. The sex negative case for sex positivity. Um, yeah. Andrea Longchu has a very good line about this, even though I'm sure Andrea Longchu would be really appalled to hear me um, <laughs> quoting their work. But I like, like, but I honestly think Andrea Longchu is a really good writer. Oh yeah, and, great um, writer. The line is, when you transition, you, you, I'm probably mangling it. You become permanently dependent on the kindness of strangers, in the sense that you are constantly dependent on people recognizing that you're trans and being nice about it. That is a that is very self aware. Right. I mean, that's what's so interesting about about Andrew Longchu's work. There's like simultaneous incredible levels of self-awareness and also incredible levels of self-deception, like ricocheting between the two. Um, But yes, like you, you know, not not everyone is going to play along and not necessarily because they're mean. It might be because they're like a child. Yeah. or an adult with dementia or they just or, live like in a normal society or something right. <laughs> right. i mean that's I, my right wife, and they don't get it my wife is a nurse and she works in a very uh, a very diverse hospital and i don't mean diverse like everybody has purple hair and votes the same way i mean actually diverse lots of immigrants who work there and for and but this is also in seattle so a city where you know the sort of administrative line is that you know very inclusive ask people their pronouns, even if it makes them uncomfortable, that kind of thing. And for immigrants who have not grown up in this sort of Western, decadent Western liberal culture where gender is a fiction or whatever, and you can be whatever you want, this is very confusing to them. And for some immigrants, there's a lot of Filipino immigrants at our hospital, uh, in their language, uh, Tagalog or whatever it's called, um, they don't have gendered pronouns. And so they're constantly messing people's pronouns up in English, not because they, they're they intentionally doing it, but because they don't use gendered pronouns in their language. It's just a different language. And so yeah. and so for, for trans people, this can be very insulting for them. They could, for some of them, it's traumatic. And so my wife has seen cases where her colleagues, her immigrant colleagues who are, who are coming to the United States, oftentimes without, without much money, uh, you know, they're, they're immigrants. Are getting in trouble at work for making these absolute minor unintentional errors because of the sensitivities of 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 trans westerners basically many such cases <laughs> we get you see the same stuff in london well you see kind of two versions of it one is the yeah people just making mistakes or finding this weird or confusing one is like super progressive culture coming slap bang up against genuinely very homophobic culture right right and the progressives been completely like unprepared for it that's an intersectional um, uh, train wreck yeah. right there yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah i wanted to go back for a moment to something you were talking about with your friend like uh a hypothetical plumber showing up with a wig and like freaking people out and whether or not whether or not this is always going to happen. My theory about this, right, is people tend not to respond. People tend to have quite different responses to gender non-conforming men and to gender non-conforming women, right? Like, it's definitely true that tomboys uh, get a pretty easy ride, like maybe a bit of bullying at school, but basically people are fine with it. Even trans men, I don't think that people tend to regard trans men with, like, fear or disgust. Right, because they, because they fundamentally see them as, people. as female. Right. I think if anything, the response is maybe to see them as a bit like pathetic, to be a bit like uh, condescending or whatever. I think that's more common. Whereas the response to gender non-conforming men, I think particularly men 
of the autogynephilic type men who are like otherwise physically masculine not you know slight obviously gay boys kind of thing but like quite mask men with wigs and whatever people are much more likely to respond with fear and disgust and and I think that's the group that gets the most negative response 100 percent. and my suspicion right and my suspicion is what's going on there is that people instinctively recognize that paraphilias cluster people instinctively recognize that if you have one kind of fetish you're more likely to have another or maybe they take it more as like a oh if you're weird about this sex thing what other sex thing might you be weird about and even though the sex thing you're weird about might be completely benign it might be like a fetish for shoes or a fetish for um you know wearing wigs whatever it is i think a lot of people are like yeah but what if you have a what if you have a a threatening fetish what if you have a threat a fetish for non-consent or a fetish for kids or a fetish you know like all of these all of like the the bad fetish categories and i think that the the term i have for this which doesn't really work for an american audience but anyway is nonce radar <laughs> like people have like a beep 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 this person might be a nonce mm. that goes off in their heads and like which i'm sure is very unfair because mm-hmm. i'm sure that people set off nonce radar who are not in fact a right. threat of right. any kind mm. But my suspicion is that's what's going on. And I don't think you can really train people out of nonce radar <laughs> in the same way that you can't really train people out of instinctively recognizing whether someone's male or female. It's just one of those things that's kind of built in. That's interesting. I haven't thought of that. I, I mean, to me, that theory maybe takes a little bit of assuming that people are, have, a, have an awareness that I don't think that I would like... I think you have to be kind of tapped into People the People are great at stereotyping. That is though. true. I mean, there's also just something about, like, I was talking to my, my dad about this the other day. So my dad taught human sexuality in, in college before, or at uni before he retired. And he would ask in his classes, he would ask the, ask the women in, the, in, in, in classes, how many of you are tomboys? And about 75% of them would raise their hands. Probably a lot of that is, is you know rewriting history i think a lot of women later identify as tomboys who actually probably weren't as children uh maybe some self-selection as well like maybe they're more likely to do those kind of courses yeah um but he never and he told me he said you know what i never asked i never said all right all the guys in the in the the class raise your hand if you were a sissy he never said that because that would have been and my dad is not the sort sort of person who um who uh how do i put this he was not afraid to push buttons and uh probably not the type of professor who would do well it's a good thing he retired when he did who would do well today and he would never ask that because this was so obviously a loaded question an insulting question in many ways because we really society western society i i would guess that every society is like this really does treat gender non-conforming men worse than gender non-conforming women and maybe that's because of the sexual revolution you know because we had there was an entire movement uh the feminist movement has made it possible for me to wear pants uh and get a job and marry another woman and things like that and and, and we didn't have a sort of equivalent for men or maybe it's more instinctual and and we just sort of expect men to be men in a way that we don't expect women to be women i mean in, in truly patriarchal societies, which I do not believe that my society or your society is, but in truly patriarchal societies, Saudi Arabia um, and other other Arab countries, uh, I think that gender nonconforming women probably do have a tough time. Yeah. 
but probably in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Like Still probably it was, less uh, than men do. They're probably not kind getting of, murdered for, for, for wanting to play baseball. Right, yeah. I think the consistent pattern, and it's a it's an open question as to what causes this, I don't, I don't really know, but it's interesting, is that um, in very um, traditional societies, uh, gay men t- tend to get a very hard time and including like execution and uh lesbian women tend to get basically ignored right ignored or they uh or until you look at uh look at the patriarchal man's browser history and you realize they actually do have great interest in lesbians (laughs) yes they have a yeah they have an extracurricular interest in lesbians um but it's not criminalized per se and i think also that uh, with some exceptions, the the expectation is basically just okay. But who cares? You're going to get married to a man, and you're going to have kids, and that's that's sort of the lot of the lesbian woman in most periods of history. Although you do always hear about um, cases of you know female friends who just live together yeah, for fifty marriage. years yeah. and right, and and no one really minded that much. And so I think there are always kind of carve outs maybe for some people from some classes. Um, but yeah, people, like there's this old joke that the reason that lesbianism wasn't criminalized in Victorian Britain, whereas homosexuality in men was, was because Queen Victoria like didn't believe that lesbians existed. Like, so someone like raised it with her and she was like, what? But that's outrageous, you know, that, that, Interesting. that yeah. it was just so far outside of her imagining. Yeah. I think that is not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what Queen Victoria personally felt about any of this, but um, or maybe she I think was it's more very aware that, of like, lesbianism. pattern of double standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I really didn't want to see it. Personal no, she interest. famously absolutely loved um, uh, shagging, but, yeah. Albert, but maybe that's a subject for another podcast. She was actually very like, actually very sexually vigorous. <laughs> I don't really know why that double standard exists with people being more frightened of male homosexuality than female. Um, but it is, it seems to be pretty consistent. Yeah. That is a good question. I mean, there's probably, I would guess there's probably my answer to everything. It's an unsatisfying answer, but there's probably a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture in there. It's probably something to do with our, with biological, imperative and um probably something to do with the way that we're all raised yeah i don't know i don't know i mean maybe a satisfying explanation for why you know that men are more homophobic than women are as well um does not surprise me at all that's kind of fits with step right it kind of fits with the stereotype but also it um you can measure it by looking at like stress responses to images of men kissing and uh men like dislike that a lot really quite a lot even men who'll say that they are very tolerant whereas women don't seem to mind um that which is obviously not to say some women are very homophobic and so on but like that pattern is quite marked which again is interesting i mean like one theory i've heard is is like if men weren't homophobic then they just spend all their time shagging each other yeah yeah (laughs) so it would be like a massive like energy sink yeah <laughs> for the male population yeah that's interesting um, which is kind of funny theory <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, yeah you know there are studies of um there are studies i haven't looked at these in a long time but there are studies that show that uh, women's men basically respond to uh to a sexual stimuli straight men respond to sexual stimuli only respond to sexual stimuli involving women and women respond. And so in these studies where they basically hook electrodes up to your body 
uh, and women respond to basically any sexual stimuli, including weird shit that no, that like very few women would be like, yeah, that's hot. Their bodies actually do physically respond. And the theory is that this is a, a an evolutionary response to the threat of rape. Um, so that the body is essentially responding to something in order to protect itself in the event of rape. I have no idea, you know, biological uh, psychologist. I've heard this yeah. too. Yeah, I think that, I've heard this yeah. from Diana Fleischman. Yeah. Um, it, because like basically self-lubrication, it protects yes. you from injury. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is really grim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super I guess grim. makes sense. <laughs> I know. Diana loves dropping those like horrible facts into, <laughs> into casual conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it is also the case, I mean, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, that, that women are, are more bisexual. Yeah. Like, uh, even though lots of women who identify as being bisexual, um, aren't actually having sex with other women mm -hmm. um they are they are more likely I, I suspect what these women are saying is that they have have had like crushes on mm -hmm. other women yeah. which they haven't acted on but they're not completely making up bisexual no. desire yeah um and it seems that that's quite there are clearly some women who are gold star lesbians but not very many mm -hmm. yes and there are a really quite a lot of women who are somewhere in the middle of the kind of the Kinsey range. Totally. Which I, isn't so true for men, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I've sort of come around to th on my thinking on this. At first, I thought that a lot of women were just sort of faking it. And yeah, they, you know, thought Miley Cyrus looked hot at one time and then therefore they've declared themselves bisexual to get oppression points. But uh, I recently had a conversation with uh, a sexologist about this who basically argues that sexual orientation does not apply to women the way that it applies to men. Uh, that yes, men on the Kenzie scale tend to be either a zero or a six. There's there is some bisexuality within 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 men, especially in maybe like men's prisons. Uh, but but for the most part, men are either one or the other, and women really are. Women are for the most part a little bit bisexual. And that aligns with my own experience. This aligns with my, you know, there are a, I know a lot of women who would call themselves les, or they would have called themselves lesbians years ago, who have had sex with men, who still occasionally have sex with men, given enough tequila. Uh, you know, it, it is the, the gold star is rare, and that's not just because it takes a while to to sort of come to your to to a realization, but it also comes because I think women are much more sexually fluid, and I've seen this recent in recent years with really surprisingly high numbers of women who are in their 30s coming out and and actually having finding female partners people who would never have would never have have even sort of assumed that they could be that they could be queer or bisexual or whatever and they end up with lesbian partners maybe not forever but at least for a little while my own wife is she's bisexual nobody's perfect and she uh, you know, she didn't realize that she was bisexual until she she grew up in, in Alaska. She went to an evangelical college. And when she moved to Seattle and she started meeting women, she realized maybe I could be uh, maybe I could be bisexual. Maybe I could be with a woman. She's in the I think if you look at look at statistics, the number of bisexual women who are in long term monogamous relationships with other women is a very small percentage of the population much, much more likely to see bi you know, bisexual women in relationships with men. Um, lots of reasons for that, not just the fact that, I mean, one of them is that they're just more available men. Um, but it took being an environment where 
she had an awareness and exposure, I guess in this sense, representation does matter for her to even sort of have that realization that she could be a little bit gay. Um, you know, so this idea that, you know, born, you know, we're born this way. I don't really buy that. Um, you know, ex as, as silly as it is, I do think representation does matter, not in maybe the sense of like who's on television as much, but just in terms of what you see, what is available, the models that you see around you obviously influence our behavior. Myself, I mean, I think I probably was one of the little kids who really popped out of the womb, you know, waving a baseball glove and saying like, I like girls, but it's still, I didn't, I didn't realize I was gay until I went to college. I still, I really had to see other models of, 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 of women who, frankly, women I was attracted to who were gay because my, this was, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And my concept of what a lesbian was, was like Rosie O'Donnell, Ellen DeGeneres, women, I'm, I'm not attracted to butches. So the idea that I would be attracted to lesbians just like kind of didn't occur to me. And then when I met women who were feminine and I was attracted to, and they were, and they were going through their gay phase, their brief gay phase in college, then it was like, oh shit, look at this. Um, but this one, yeah, I didn't like spring from the spring from the womb, um, you know, waving a pride flag. I, and I think with, with, with men, um, it probably emerges much earlier, typically, uh, at least the awareness. The episode is not over. There is another maybe 30 minutes of content, but it is behind a paywall. If you would like access to that content, if you would like to show support for the show, pay subscriptions are what keep it on the road. Allow me to pay my producers, put food on the table, all that important stuff. The extended version of the podcast is available at my Substack, louiseperry.substack.com. That's where you can also find, as I say every week, bonus episodes, extended episodes, uh, the MMM chat community, all of this. Um, please sign up for a pay subscription. It makes such an enormous difference to my ability to keep producing the podcast and grow it even bigger, produce more episodes, all that good stuff. There are other ways that you can show your support for the show as well. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can like us on YouTube. You can tell your friends and family uh, how much you like the show. If you find it valuable, all of these things make an enormous difference to our ability to keep making it. Thank you so much. <laughs>